Right, so let's take a little journey tonight into some scriptures. And uh, last week I didn't mention something in the course of my teaching, and I want to dwell on it tonight. So I'll be talking on the body of Moses tonight. just want us to examine that. And we take our reading from Jude, the book of Jude, reading from verse number five, the book of from verse number five. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, I will therefore put you in remembrance that you once knew this, how that the Lord having sent the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels we kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains on the darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh has set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these fated dreamers, the father flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, begin to note now, verse 9 is the key thing. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Amen. So here, scripture is saying, uh, Michael the Archangel, we're going to be defining that, who is Michael. And then we're going to be talking about the body of Moses. And then what is it that was being disputed about? And though here we find that a scripture is saying it was the body of Moses himself by implication the corpse of Moses. Amen. I will say something a little bit on this. But I would like us to explain something. First of all, let's look at the issue of Michael who was disputing with this body. And so here we find that the Bible said Michael disputed. So who is Michael in the Bible? And don't forget, the Bible defined him as the archangel. Now, the word arch means chief, means principal, means the first. And uh, there can never be two arch in any system. So, if Michael is the archangel, that means he's the chief of the angels. Amen? It's just like you have what today you have archbishop and on and on. Once you come to the place of arch, there is nothing above that anymore. It's like, it's the limit. Hallelujah. So, this angel is the archangel. And again, let's understand something. The Bible made us understand as if he's the archangel. It simply also means he's the chief messenger. Because the word angel also means messenger. Amen? Alright. Now, the Hebrew word for Michael is he who is like God. Or who is like God. He who is like God. Or you can say who is like God? So ordinarily, if somebody asks you the question, who is like God? Who is like God in the Bible? It's Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. There is no one else who is like God in the Bible. He is God made flesh. Amen? Hallelujah. So, in a quick definition of answer to that question, we can also say, or we can definitely say conclusively, that Archangel Michael is Jesus Christ himself. 
Amen? Praise the Lord. So, there is no two ways about it. There is no argument about this. There is just nothing anybody can want to argue about that. Archangel Michael is Jesus Christ himself. We're going to read other scriptures on that so that you can see this. In fact, the Jewish people believe this as well. That Michael is the manifestation of the Messiah in the flesh. They believe it. Amen? Hallelujah. So like I said, the word Ark means the chief. And again, it's not found in the plural. It's not Archangels. It's Archangel 1. So it's just one person that is being spoken about here. Hallelujah. Amen? So it's one chief, one head of the angelic host. Michael is this archangel and the angelic order. You can also read that in uh, uh, Revelation 12, verse number 7. You can find the same principle there. All he was raised with uh, Satan as the case may be. Now, the way you put it this way is, is simple. If it's the archangel in the angelic order, then it's like saying the devil is the archdevil on the other side. Is that okay? <laughs> Are you still there with me? All right. So I would like you to understand that because it's very important. Very, very key to what we are discussing tonight. Uh, knowing who is this that is doing this wrestling uh, with the devil against the body. Is that okay? So the person doing the wrestling against the devil for the body of Moses, according to Jude chapter 9, I mean chapter, uh, the one chapter and the verse 9, is actually Jesus Christ himself. Is that Okay. All right, so let's move on. Uh, okay. Now, uh, there's a lot of Jewish writers and what I'll call fables, if you will, and some of those write-ups in the Apocryphus that kind of describe some of these things. Jude actually alluded to some of these write-ups. Uh, basically, this is part of what we find in the Apocryphus, if you really go into that. Uh, something need to be observed here. That this contention is not about the sacrifice of Isaac or the soul of Moses or anything else. But we are told it has to do with the very body of who? Of Moses. Is that okay? Right. Now, there are a lot of beliefs. Some think that the devil uh, was wrestling here to show the Israelites where Moses was buried. In other words, it's like saying Moses was secretly buried and the devil was trying to make the Israelites know. Because the understanding was... If the Israelites get to know where Moses is buried, definitely they are going to immortalize him and they're going to make another God out of his burial site. You understand that? So the belief is, okay, fine. Uh, the body was hidden and then the devil was trying to expose where it was hidden. So there was a contention. That's one version of belief system about it. Okay. Um, then uh, we also have this, but that is the major, the strength, the, the, the basic strength. But as we're going to read on, you'll be able to see something very, very uh, important. Something very important. You're going to see much later because the Bible made us to understand that God buried Moses himself. Is that okay? Are you there? Okay. There is something also I want us to note as we are moving on. Um, in that belief system of saying, well, the devil wanted to do that, the they tried to make understand while Michael was trying to resist uh, sin to the discovery. In fact, the, the, it's not, because it's not inspired, because it's not a true story, it's even difficult for them to put together what precisely that, what they're trying to say. Now, there are certain things I also want, to, uh, want us to see. For instance, uh, um, if we go to the book of Daniel, let's go to Daniel first. I'm going to read this uh, in trying to define precisely now. Let's first of all look at Daniel 12. Then we're going to go back to Daniel 10 and look at a few things. Still dealing with the issue of the Michael now. So Daniel 12, uh, verse number 1. The Bible says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince. Now I want you to know this. The great prince, who is standard for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as was never, 
I mean, as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, that same time. And at that time, that people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Okay. So again, we try to look at this one. Now we're going to also come back to this a little bit. But let me go back now and try to define the issue of the word prince. And so we'll go back to Daniel 9. I mean, Daniel 10. And let's look at something on the issue of Daniel chapter 10. Praise the Lord. Daniel chapter 10. Let's look at something there on the definition of the issue of the word prince. Because I think it's very important. We need to discover this. Otherwise, we won't be able to get the story right. Daniel 10. What is he saying? Let me see if I can just quickly get this out. Uh, okay. Daniel chapter 10. I really need to read verse 13. Are you there? Verse 13, and then you can move to verse 21. But let's look at verse 13 first. The Bible says, But the prince of the kingdom of Asia, which stood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained here with the kings of Asia. Then he moved down to verse 21, and he says, But I will show thee, he noted on the structure of truth, Scripture of truth. And there is none that hold it with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Okay. Now, you know the story. Um, Daniel was in the fast for 21 days. Is that okay? And uh, we're made to understand that after the fast of 21 days, uh, Gabriel came and was trying to give him some instructions. And then Gabriel said, even when he started praying, your prayer was answered by the prince of Asia. Is that okay? Uh, we told me. Now, our common understanding for those of us who strongly believe in spiritual warfare, we have uh, concluded that the Prince of Persia actually means um, a demonic power that uh, rules Persia. Is that okay? Now, I was sharing something with my wife yesterday, and to me it looks funny. If God sent an angel a message and a demon can stop the angel of God. It's embarrassing. When even you, who is mortal, God gave you power to cast out devils. It simply means man is stronger than that angel that was sent on an errand. But I don't believe that. Because you can cast a devil. Even in Isaiah 50, 54, the Bible tells us precisely that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I mean, I mean, remember that. Say if they shall gather together for their namesake, and whatever they gather, you shall condemn. Any tongue that rises against you, that shall you condemn. And that is the heritage of the servant of the Lord and the righteousness of me. And all through the scripture, the Bible tells us we can cast our devils. Right? So how come that God sent a messenger, an angel for that matter, a message, and the devil can allow him to deliver the message? What kind of weak, weak, weak angel was that supposed to be? I'm not sure it was from the throne of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So now, there is something else I want to show you. Now, I'm reading this because of what we read in Mark, you know, trying to define who Michael is. The Bible says, the prince of your people. Is that okay? Are you still there? Okay. So now, um, let's begin to look at something. Who is this? Now, first of all, understand something. Okay, let's move on. I, <laughs> I'm going to pick this out for you. Okay. Um, for instance, in Second Corinthians 4, okay? Second Corinthians 4, if you look at 3 and 4, the Bible talks about if our gospel be healed, it is to those who the prince of this world blinded and hide. Is that okay? Hey, are you there with me? Now, what's this? Because I want to say something here. I believe this. Okay? Another scripture you need to add to that is Ephesians 2. If you go to Ephesians 2, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, let the glory of the gospel of the Lord, whose image of God shall shine unto them. Then, if you look at Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, the Bible says, And ye had it quickened, we were dead in trespasses and in sins, where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to what? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walk under the children of disobedience. I like that. What I love in this is the spirit works in people. The spirit does not walk on his own. Amen? Did you understand that? The spirit that walketh we are in children of disobedience. I want you to know that because it's very important. Okay. Then 1 John chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says, 
the war light and the power of the wicked one. That's what he's trying to say. Quit me, the war light and the power of the devil, as the case may be. Now the question is, how does the devil walk? Amen? The devil can only walk through people. Am I right? Are we together? Fine. So, <laughs> if therefore the prince of Persia, assuming he was a devil, then conclusively he was going to walk through an individual to be able to stop what Daniel was asking for. Does that make sense? Now, I want you to think. Because the devil can only walk through people. Right. So, therefore, now understand what was Daniel actually praying for in the first place. What was he praying for? You need to also understand that. Daniel was an old man at this time. Okay? And he was in this fire for 21 days. But understand something. The whole thing began to appear to him after the 21 days he was walking by the river. It's like taking a walk. It's like meditating. And then there was this glorious light that appeared unto him. Right? And that was Christ himself. And they begin to speak unto him and begin to cause him to see all of those things that needs to be. But the key thing why he was actually praying was it has to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Okay? It was building, I mean, it was actually walking towards the rebuilding of Jerusalem, praying towards the rebuilding of Jerusalem and laying the foundation. That was a time of King Cyrus. I want you to understand this. Okay? Now, so, how do we really conclude who this prince was supposed to be? Again, I would like us to run through a few scriptures um, if I come back to this again. If you take time to read uh, the book of Numbers, for instance. If you read the book of Numbers. Let me show you something there. Because I think it's important for us to marry this together. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. And then we read uh, verse 11. Verse 18. And then you keep reading down to verse 78. You're going to see one trend. But let me read verse 11. Defining for us who is the prince. And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offerings, each prince on his day, for the dedicating of the altar. Now, verse 18. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offering each... Where am I? Okay, verse 18, I'm sorry. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zua, prince of Issachar, did offer up. Do you understand that? I mean, did offer. In other words, he said the prince in all of the tribe should be the one to offer the sacrifices. Is that okay? So if you begin to read all of that till verse 78, you find that each of the tribe tribe, there was a prince that had to offer the sacrifices. What I'm trying to establish is, prince in the Bible is used for people. Alright? Are you getting what I'm talking about? Okay, let's move down again to Second Samuel. Second Samuel 3 and verse number 8, 38. Second Samuel 3 verse number 38. Praise the Lord. Here in verse 38 of Second Samuel 3, the Bible says, and the king said unto his servants, Know ye know that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And this has to do with the death of Abner. How did the Bible refer to Abner? A prince. As I'm saying these things, may your mind be reminding you, or may you try to recollect what we're talking about. The prince of Asia. Is that Okay. Right, so here Abner is referred to as a priest. Then each of the tribes, of the twelve tribes, we got a priest that was to offer a sacrifice. Are we together? Okay, Daniel chapter 9. Let's look at verse 26. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. Hallelujah. Daniel 9 26, the Bible says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with flood, with a flood. And unto the end of war, desolation are determined. Now, if you look at this scripture, you go back to Matthew 24, go back to Luke 21, you know precisely what he's talking about. 
Seventh week of Daniel has to do with the time determined for the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Is that okay? Now, what the Bible talks about, the people of the prince that shall come, this has to do with Titus, General Titus, the son of Vespasian, who came in and destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. So, Titus is referred to as what? A prince. So now, if we've been able to establish all of this, who then is the prince of Asia? But let's move on just a little bit. Back again. Uh, we read that before, Daniel 10. Okay, so now. <sighs> it's serious. Anyway, God is going to help us. Amen? So just take it in, in a systematic way, like I've tried to establish from the book of number seven, we find that all of those who are supposed to be leading those tribes, they were referred to as what? Prince. Is that okay? And then we come to the place of uh, Daniel 9, 70 week of Daniel, we find that the prince referred to there is General Titus himself. He's a human being. Second Samuel is quite explanatory. We've been able to establish that Abner, David referred to him as what? As a prince. Is that all right? So now, in your own mind and in your own thought right now, who is the prince of Asia? It's King Cyrus. <laughs> Are you done with me? King Cyrus. You know what? Let me give you, let me find your time to go study, but let me give this to you. King Cyrus, how many of you remember in Isaiah 48? I mean, Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 44, 44, the last two verse, and then 45, the first verse, the Bible refers to King Cyrus as what? He's anointed. I mean, if you remember that. Okay, we've been able to establish that before. What was the anointing? To build Jerusalem, to build the temple. And this is exactly what Daniel was asking for. So, the issue is this. Who was actually resisting, as the case may be? To me, it is simple. King Cyrus was not willing to do the job. For whatever reason, I can tell. But he was seemingly not prepared to go do the job. Is that okay? And so, this part, the guy, Daniel praying and saying, God, this has to be done my people, the temple, the city, whatever, need to be rebuilt again. And they have to come back again from Babylon. Though he had been left behind in Babylon to rebuild the city, Besiris was not prepared to make the decree that we establish or give momentum to the establishment of the building and the laying of the foundation of Jerusalem again. Now that is where Jesus had to come and inspire him from behind the scene unknown to him. Now, you say, well, the devil made that fine. The devil was making him not to. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Remember, there was even a time. You, you checked out the book of Ezra, chapter 4, verse 4, and read on. You're going to be able to see that even the temple, when it began to rise, at the point it has to stop because of persecution and all of that. I mean, of human. Fine. This is exactly what he was praying for. So, all of those things. Now, you see. Cyrus, without the decree of Cyrus, nothing goes on. So even when the temple's work begins to stop, and then this guy has to begin to pray, and it's like God has to come and really have to walk on Cyrus from behind the scene, and Cyrus has to be, and all that was needed for the building of the temple and laying on the foundation was released because of the decree of Cyrus. So the prince of Pesha was actually King Cyrus. Not one spirit floating up in the sky. And like I said, for every spirit to walk and have effect, we'll use the people. Even God uses people to do whatever he needs to do. God will bless you, but he's going to use people to bless you. God does not bless you in abstract. Does God use Naira? But somebody can bless you with Naira and say, God bless me today. How did the person bless you? God speaks to the people to do what? To bless you. Same thing. So, but the key thing is the prince is a person, not a spirit. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Now, I'm saying this so that you can catch up with what we are defining. We are saying Michael is a prince of the people of Daniel. 
Is that okay? And it's not an abstract being, it's a being. Hallelujah. Okay. So I want you to check on that. Uh, Praise God. Just read all of that so that I'll be able to see what I mean. And uh, there is this uh, aspect of it that I also want you to see. Uh, Same in the book of Daniel. He said he came to fight. Not as if there's going to be, there was a kind of war, but ability to create a conviction in the heart of Cyrus so that he can be able to make the decree for all of that that needs to be done, to be done. Now, you see, if you go then and read um, Daniel 11 and then uh, 2, Daniel 11 verse 3, you're going to see again where the Bible says, when I finish fighting with him, then shall come the prince of Gracia. How many of you, how many of you have seen that before? So the question is, who is the prince of Gracia? Because we own in the intercessory walk, or those who are con- much, much conscious with spiritual warfare, we are only concerned with the prince of Gracia. So we the prince of Gracia. Because Gracia also has a prince. And actually, Gracia is Greek. Now, who is the prince of Gracia? It's Alexander the Great. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. So, in that place, the Bible now said, And the prince of Gracia shall come. And that's simply Alexander the Great, who also destroyed the Persian Empire. After Cyrus has made the decree, established what that needs to be established, the prince of Gracia comes in, which has to do with Alexander the Great, that finally destroyed the Persian Empire as well. Praise the living God. Are we together? So I just want you to understand this when we come to the issue of the prince. So now we'll go back again to Daniel 12 so that we can see now and pick up from there in what we're dealing with. Praise the Lord. Back again to Daniel 12 and I will read it. Then we'll begin to move on to see where we are. Okay. Uh, like I said before, if you look at that, he simply said uh, Daniel 12, verse 1. And at that time, shall Michael stand up, the great prince who standed for the children of that people. Remember, this vision will be interpreted to who? To Daniel. Who is the people of Daniel? The Jews. Hallelujah. Who is the prince of the Jews, as the case may be, in this regard? Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Okay, and at that time, that people shall be delivered, and everyone shall be found written, that are found written in the book. Okay, I don't want to go into all of that, but I just want to establish who this man is. So like I said, this is Jesus Christ. Did you believe that? Michael is a manifestation of the Messiah in the flesh. Okay, I've explained what it means to be an ark. It's to be the first, to be the chief, it's to be the principal one. Praise the Lord. Okay, um, what have I got to show you now? If you look at, if you look at, begin to say the context. If you look at uh, Zechariah 3, verse 1, Zechariah 3, verse 1, and think verse 2, you're going to see how that Joshua, you know, was to be, um, he, he was a high priest, as the case may be. Uh, Zechariah, Joshua, the two olives. And then the Bible tells us that, uh, Satan stood at the, at the right hand. How many of you remember that? Okay. In other words, he was to accuse him. And it's like saying he is not qualified to be uh, ordained or consecrated into the office. Right? And then here the scripture also made us understand and that the Lord said, the Lord rebuked thee. How many of you remember that? Okay. I want to make you see something. The Lord rebuked thee. I'm trying to... But I put this to you. Okay. You will understand. Now, it's similar to what we find in Jude 9. I mean Jude 9. It's the same principle. Okay? You find that it's the same Satan standing because of someone. Hallelujah. So the same statement I was making in Zechariah 3 is the same statement that is made in Jude 9. The Lord rebuked thee. I take time to make some research. And I find that the Lord rebuke thee doesn't really mean a rebuke. It simply means the Lord correct thee. How would Jesus 
transfer authority from himself in relation to Satan and take it to God for God to do the job. If rebuke is what it means. Are you catching what I'm talking about? Watch this. The Bible said they are drugging a girl I, I mean, I, I, about the body of Moses and the angel, Mike, Mike, Mike and I is not saying, the Lord rebuke thee. That means he can't rebuke him. Is that what it means? So now, Jerusalem Bible simply says, the Lord corrects thee. Or the Lord will correct you. And then if you read the message translation, it's the same thing. It's like saying you have no understanding. God is going to give you understanding. You'll be corrected. Now, you find the same thing in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we are told when Jesus said he was going to go to Jerusalem and die, Scripture said, my, I mean, Peter took him aside, and what did he do? He rebuked. Now, it simply means it's like he was quarreling with him, and he was shutting him down. But that's not his sense. After I've read this, I got to understand, Peter was trying to say, hey man, how can you say that? You are the Messiah. Maybe you are saying something different from who you are. It's like Peter was trying to correct Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was trying to, it's like, ah, the, have you forgotten who you are? You are the Messiah. How can you say you are dying? You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't be talking about dying in Jerusalem. You are the Messiah. Maybe you've forgotten. Can I remind you? So it's like he was trying to correct him for not saying the right thing. But Jesus said, no, 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 you have no understanding. Is that okay? Right, so the word rebuke is not really, it's not necessarily saying shutting down someone. It simply means correcting someone to have a better understanding of what he does he have. Are you still there with me? Okay, so you find that in that passage, and I think that will help you. Just like I said, from Jerusalem Bible, it simply said, the Lord correct thee. Okay? All right, now... Let's try to define body. Let's try to define body. Here we'll find the body of Moses. Okay. Uh, I think we, we first of all, let's find the natural body of Moses. What happened to the natural body of Moses? Can we go to Deuteronomy 34? Deuteronomy 34. And I'm reading verse 1. Praise the Lord. Bible says that Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the mountain of Nebo. Everybody say Nebo. You need to understand this. To the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. And all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea. And the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zohar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thy eyes, but thou shalt not go over it thither. Okay. Um, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him. Who is he? Buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Bapua, but no man knoweth of his sepulchre until this day. Is it clear? Now, why would Jude be saying the devil was fighting to get the body? Was the devil fighting with God? I'll tell you that story has to do with some Jewish stuff. The background for which he was writing. Is that okay? Because it's plain scripture here. The Bible says God buried this man. He died and he buried it by himself. Just like I said before. If God had not buried Moses by himself. Uh, some of us naturally have been going to Israel. To go see where Moses died. So that we can get the power that he had. You know we love power. Amen? With the kind of glory that manifested on the face of Moses. In fact, there will have been a competition now who to worship. Either Moses or Jesus. Whoever goes to Jerusalem will either be looking for each of the tomb. Either the tomb of Jesus or the tomb of whatever. Even Jesus has to get out of the tomb so that it does not become a sacred place either. Because if he was actually dead and the stone was there, Amen. 
people. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. And so God knew all this thing was going to happen. So he has to bury Moses by himself in a place. The scripture says, where well, no man know it. Hallelujah. So I don't know if what we are considering was the time of the burial. I don't know. Was it the time of the burial that this dragging of the body was? Or after God had left, then Jesus came and the devil came. Maybe the devil wanted to steal the body. Jesus came to stop him or something like that. I don't know. But it's cheap to think that way. Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay, so back to Jude 9. Back to Jude 9 now. Now see. Hmm. Are we there? Okay, verse 9. Jude. Yet Micah the archangel were contended with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses. Does not bring against him a ruling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. This is a reference to the apocryphas. I, I mentioned that before. Is that okay? It's a clear reference to the apocryphas. And uh, there is something that they have always, when you say, does not bring uh, against him a ruling accusation, it was a Jewish maxim, a Jewish thought. As may be seen in the synopsis. When you read the synopsis, there are of, of Zohar, there are other books like I call the synopsis of Zohar, the Apocryphas. If you read all of that, page 92 in particular, note 6, you find that it is written, it is to prefer ignominious reproaches even against wicked spirits. They don't even accept you. Speaking against weakened spirits. Therefore, it couldn't be. Is that okay? In other words, what you're trying to say here is the best, the best way to address the issue was to say, may God correct you. And not to insult or bring accusing, railing and I mean, infamous words and insult against whoever. So that is your belief in the synopsis of the Sohal. If you check that, you're going to see that. Hallelujah. Okay, so like I said before, it was simply, in the Jerusalem Bible, simply means the Lord corrects thee. Simple. Is that alright? That is your end. It's not talking about rebuke. And like I said it also in the case of Peter, Matthew 16, reading from 21, and then you see the same thing. When the Bible says, he rebuked, Peter rebuked Jesus. The word rebuke is actually epitomal. And that word actually means censor or admonish. When you admonish, you are not necessarily insulting someone or bringing down someone. Am I making sense? So, that agrees with the Jerusalem translation. That agrees with the... Uh, the message translation that actually use the word correct. The Lord correct thee. And that is because they don't believe that even no matter the wickedness of his spirit, you can use an ignominious word against such spirits. Is that okay? Alright, so let's begin to define the body. Now, that's first of all, like we said before, we know precisely that the body was buried by who? By God himself. And the Bible says, no man knows. And I'm sure if God didn't intend to reveal it to anybody, there is no devil that has access to that. If devil doesn't even know about your salvation, he can't even know the thing God is doing. Amen? He doesn't even know either. Okay. But let's begin to define body. What does body really stands for? So that we can begin to pick up. Now let's first of all look at the body of Jesus. Let's go to Ephesians 6. I mean Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And then I'm reading from verse 18. Bible says, The eyes of your understanding have been enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who who believe, according to the workings of his mighty power. Amen. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that also which is to come. And I put all things under his feet and gave it to be the head over all things to the church. Begin to follow. Which is what? His body. The church is what? His body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Hallelujah. 
Now, I, I want you to understand. We're dealing with the body now. But first of all, we're dealing with the body of Christ. I want you to see the positive and the negative. Or the negative and the positive. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Okay. Now, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And then we'll look at just verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 4. Bible says there is one body and one spirit, even as you are calling, one hope of your calling. How many body? One body. Okay. And that body is which body? The body of Christ. Okay. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. I mean 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at it from 12 to 13. For as the body is one, and had many members, and all the members of that one body being many and one body, so also is who? It's Christ. Is it clear there? Come on, are we together? First Corinthians 12. I'm sorry, not 11. Okay. <laughs> all right, First Corinthians 12. Sorry. Okay, verse 12. Are we there together now? All right. Are you there? Okay, so we take it again. For as the body is one, and had many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is who? Is Christ. Christ is one body. Is that okay? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bound or free, or have been all made to drink into one spirit. Praise the Lord. So, we can see from this that the body of Christ is what? The church. So then, what should be the body of Moses? The church that was in the wilderness. Does it make sense? Hallelujah. The church today, now, you can take time to go back to Hebrews 3, and then you check up your reading. The Bible talks about uh, Christ being a, a high profession, a high priest, and an apostle. And then in the course of discussion, talking about Moses was faithful in the house of God, which was in the wilderness. Is that okay? And then Acts chapter 7 talks about the church being, I mean, that very house in the wilderness being the church that was in the wilderness. So we know that Moses was the, the, the one or the apostle or the, or, the, or the prophet that was in the church in the wilderness, even as Christ is the prophet and the apostle of the present church order. And the present church order is referred to as the body of Christ. So, the very church that was in the wilderness is the body of Moses. Is that okay? Now, we're going to be seeing why the devil, as it were, from what we read in Judah, was dragging for the body of Moses. And that is to say, not the physical, literal body of Moses, but the church that was in the wilderness. What was it that the devil was looking for? But again, let's move on here. Look at Romans 8, verse number 2. Romans 8, verse number 2. The Bible says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So now here is comparing two laws. Amen. There is a law of the life in Christ Jesus, and there is a law of this law of sin and death. Meaning, for the body of Christ, the body of Christ functions with the law of the life of the spirit of life in Christ. Why the body of Moses, which is the church in the wilderness, function on the ground of what? The law of sin and death. Are you getting this? Alright. Let's move on. Romans 6 verse 14. Romans 6 verse 14. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but what? Under grace. Amen? Okay. Galatians 5 verse 18. Galatians 5 verse 18. He says, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now you see, Romans 8 tells us, We are under the life, under the Spirit of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Is that okay? And the Bible is saying, If you are operating under that sphere, you are not under the law. 
Hallelujah. So now, what makes up the body of Moses? What was the composition of the body of Moses? The body of Moses was actually composed of the laws of Moses. Is that okay? All the law that Moses gave is what make up what he called the body of Moses. So in a nutshell, though we read the scripture on that, but in a nutshell, everything the devil was struggling for was to ask or to maintain that the law should do what? Should remain. Is that okay? The devil was simply saying, I don't want the law to be given away. I don't want the law to go away. I don't want the law to come to an end. Because that is where he has his own power to function in and with. Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. And verse 54. Let me read from verse 54. First Corinthians 15, reading from 54. The Bible says, So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, that is swallowed up in victory. O dead, verse 55, where is thy stink? O grave, where is thy victory? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. What am I sting? Power. Amen? And the strength of sin is what? The law. But look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over what? Over the law. And as long as you have victory over the law, you have victory over sin, that you have victory over death. Now, so what the devil was saying is, I don't want death to be abolished. Do you understand that? I don't want immortality to come into existence. Because if the law is removed, then immortality have opportunity of manifesting in creation. That is just what the devil was saying. Now, so you see, ministries are proclaiming, I mean, proclaim law, they are also working for the devil. Because the more laws that are made, the more sin people are going to be committing. Let me give you a simple illustration. This it is very practical. I want to make you understand that there are things you say, there are things you do, that leads people to do things that God never intended them to do. When I was in Kaduna in this last meeting, I started laughing myself after this, I mean, after the incident, and when I went to church preaching, I have to mention it. I just see how easy it is for you to fall a victim to anything that is a law. Watch this. I was given this apartment, big apartment as the case may be. Two rooms, a big parlor with furnishing, there's a kitchen, there's a bedroom, everything. But this man is no longer staying there, he's staying on another aspect of it. So I was occupying the whole place. I have the whole place to myself. Okay. Now, when, it, when, I, when he brought me in, this elderly man, Abishai, like I mentioned the other time, Abashia. Okay, fine. And then... Um, he took me and said, now, Pastor, come let me show you where you're going to stay. And then this is the bathroom, and this is these, and this is the kitchen, but you're not cooking. We're going to be bringing food for you. And this is a parlor, this is your TV, and then this is your room. He opened the door. So, have a good time. Take time. He didn't show me the other room. And then uh, I slept the first day. And then I slept the second day. And somebody said, what is in the other room? <laughs> He didn't show me the second room. You understand what I'm saying? And I went to the second room. I want to see what's there. What is there? This man didn't show me. I opened the door. The room was smaller than the one he gave to me. There was nothing there. It was smaller than the one he gave to me. But something was still telling me there is something there. Why? You see what I'm talking about? You just put rules for people, they fall victims. Did you get what I'm talking about? That is life for you. And that is exactly why Adam and Eve out to eat of the tree. I planted a tree, the tree was there. I mean, 
What for goodness sake? Say don't touch this tree. Why do you? Let's say every other tree you can eat, but don't eat this one. What is in that tree that you say I will eat it? It's just like me going to open the second door. That is a lie for every man. So the more laws you make, the more trouble you create for people. And so the devil lost laws. Because the more laws that are available, the more victims he's going to get. And the more for victims to all of these laws, the more immortality eludes us. And then you have upon you and say, hey, come on, you can get ahead, you're a sinner. Oh, come on. Are you getting what I'm talking about? And that's why you read this verse about, thanks be to God, we gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Romans 8 now say, therefore, there remaineth no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the living God. So friends, this is exactly what we mean in Jude 9. It has nothing to do with one devil that was dragging for the body of Moses. No, God buried Moses. Deuteronomy 34. God did that by himself. Nobody knows it. Nobody knew exactly where he was. The devil does not even know, I believe. Hallelujah. And now the Lord is not only doing that. Even just what said, the Lord will correct it. We are correcting the devil. We are saying, man, the law is over. Hallelujah. You can't take a hold of this law and knock it on my head anymore. Thank God through Jesus Christ who gave us the victory. And the victory is not just against sin. I mean over sin, over the law. The victory is over even death and sicknesses and poverty. He gave us victory. How many of you understand? Listen to me. You see, if you are under oppression of the devil, you can be rich. You can have money. He will always speak to you that you can't get what God has made available because you are not righteous enough. But now the Bible made us understand we are righteous people in Christ Jesus. So everything he died for, we are going to possess. Thank God for Jesus Christ who gave us a victory. We are more than conquerors. Therefore, there is no more condemnation. Praise the living God. God bless you. Come and give thanks to God. Hallelujah. Amen.